this morning but how lucky are we that we have technology and we have Dave who's behind the camera there so um, yeah welcome to you all this morning um, I reckon it's pretty fitting right that we're doing a series on over fear when we're just about to head into another week of lockdown um, some of you may be thinking oh my goodness I'm like freaking out I've got kids to homeschool and others of you worried about your finances others will have other health issues and concerns um, Look, I really hope this morning that I can really help um, give you some strategies um, of to how we can really, um, yeah, just battle this um, sort of, I guess, just overcoming um, fear that comes into our life. Now, we've had some amazing messages so far. We've had praise over fear. We've had trust over fear. We've had truth over fear. And last week, Dave spoke on fanning into flame your anointing over fear. Now, I loved how Dean described fear on his um, talk about truth. He said, fear is like the flatmate from hell. It moves in, it takes up space, doesn't pay rent. But, you know, he concluded that we have God's truth inside of us. You know, we have weapons. We have the armor of God. So with that in mind, why do so many people, including Christians, face fears on a regular basis? Some have a continual battle with one particular type of fear. Now, if you look up in studies, you'll find that fear of public speaking is right up there with one of people's worst fears. So, you know, I'm obviously living through that today. Now, have you ever been paralyzed by fear? It's such an awful feeling. You know, I think, I, I think that ultimately the thing that humans fear probably the most is death. The pain of leaving ones we love, the pain of watching those that you love die. You know, I battled with this fear for a long time. But, you know, other fears like crime and accidents, um, devastating storms, killer orcas if you're Dave, murder, terrorists, viruses like COVID-19, they are all things that as human beings we fear. You know, we're all going to die on this earth and the fear of death is what Satan uses, uh, uses to keep us in bondage. Do you know that fear comes in the form of a lie? Satan is described as the father of all lies. And so whenever there's a pattern of fear, it's usually because there's a lie that subconsciously you believe. So even without consciously knowing, we can become into an agreement with a lie in our spirit that causes fear. Now we live in the midst of fierce spiritual battles and fear is one of Satan's favorite weapons. So I'm going to unpack this morning how we can be free from the bondage of fear. Do you know the Bible actually says fear not 365 times? I don't think that's by accident. That's for one for every day of the year. So God's trying to tell us this is important for our daily walk. Here's one of them. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I believe the spirit of fear comes when our mind is not centered on Jesus. But he didn't give us a spirit of fear. We've learned that in this series. Oh, but we, instead, we have power, um, love, and a sound mind. You know, Jesus accomplished on the cross what would have kept us in bondage to fear. Listen to this. Hebrews 2 and 14 says this. God's children are human beings made from flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as human beings could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. 
Only this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus has victory over death. He accomplished our freedom from being a slave to fear. So are we a slave to our fears, guys? We know it's the enemy's greatest weapon, and he's prowling around every day looking for an opportunity, which we make make easy because we sin so regularly. Fear comes and sets in when we look away from Jesus even for one minute. I believe there's only one way to get rid of fear, and I'm going to show you the one thing that we should fear in order to eliminate all other fears. Now, the Bible speaks of two different types of fear, fear that God commands and fear that God forbids. A fear that builds you up and a fear that tears you down. A fear, therefore, to gain and a fear to lose. So it's not what exactly we should fear, it's but who. Fear of the Lord will give us strength to face all other fears. Now, Scripture is full of examples describing God as powerful and loving. But the Bible uses fear, the word fear, over 300 times when referring to God. To fear God is to have deep respect, reverence and awe, total submission to him. But even that, even more than that, to hate sin. There are many characteristics of God, but if we only see him in love, we may assume that it doesn't matter how we behave because he'll love us anyway. And therefore, it doesn't encourage us to fear him for our own sake. Jesus is the perfect example of fear and love working hand in hand. Jesus warned us to have fear of God while demonstrating his perfect love on the cross. He told us that we should hate evil while showing mercy and grace to the people we encounter. Jesus understood that fearing God helps us from falling into our sinful nature. 1 John 4 and 18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. When you learn to fear God, you will learn to trust him, being in very special relationship with him. And that's what casts out fear. Psalm 25 and 14 says, Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. And when we're in friendship with him and relationship with him on a daily basis, his perfect love in us will cast away our fears. Now this next scripture is really the key scripture that I want us to focus on today. It's from Proverbs 9 and 10, and it says, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, wisdom that God gives us is very different than the wisdom of the world. You know, there's wisdom outside of the Bible. You know, human beings were made in God's image. Therefore, you know, we are able to make sense of life outside of him. But this is not to say that we have enough sense to make the most of our life. The world's wisdom will always be folly, as it lacks eternal perspective. God is all-wise, the source of wisdom, and his wisdom created the universe with all its complexity. Now, in the, basically, the Old Testament is made up of a timeline of about 2,000 years. So, God created the world at about 2,000 BC. And around about the 500 BC mark, there was a period of about 400 years where some writings would say God was inactive. I don't believe that he was inactive. I just believe he wasn't speaking through people at that time. However, it takes eyes of faith to see that he's at work, even when no one's there to write about it. Now, interestingly, at this time, it was the rise of many wise people. There were the Greek philosophers, um, the three 
key ones known as Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Now, these were incredibly wise men of the ancient world who still impact philosophy today and their, by their founding theories. Now, in their wisdom, they attempted to change our culture and society by their ideas of promoting, for example, Plato, an ideal state. He felt that if we abolish family and uh, the ability to have private property, and we abolish things like gender roles, um, and, you know, we, we created this sort of um, you know, state where everyone, there was unity and cohesiveness and um, you know, that um, we would basically transcend human selfishness because they were basically trying to govern the state. By They'd recognised that human beings were incredibly selfish um, beings and they wanted to abolish that. This was argued by his protégé, Aristotle, who is a realist. He wanted to promote a working government that acknowledged human selfishness and promoted family because he felt that actually it was really important to have family because if you didn't, you know, who's, who was responsible for that child or that child and actually human selfishness in that regard actually is part of survival. It was also around this time when the fundamental principles of human knowledge and understanding were categorised into four areas. One, physical or empirical. Two, logical or reason. Three, ethical, which was philosophy in action. And four, metaphysical, which was pure philosophy. But yet, it's not by accident that these incredibly wise philosophers didn't make it into the Bible, despite being around at the period when the Bible was written. So even though in human terms we can apply physical, logical, ethical, metaphysical understanding to our worldview, the Lord says in Proverbs 9 and 10, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You know, in the Bible, God used, used uneducated men and women, shepherds and fishermen, those who fear him, those who have a heart that leans towards him to demonstrate what the Bible describes as wisdom. Joseph is an incredible example of a God-fearing man who trusted God through unbelievable circumstances. It's, but it certainly wasn't through metaphysics that he did it. If we truly fear God, we're not afraid of anything or anyone. You know, there was an example of um, Abraham in the Bible when he, he was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. You know, I always struggled with this passage. What kind of a God would ask for this? Isn't this, like, isn't this request completely in conflict with everything that God seems to value? However, when we look at the context of this story, we notice three things that lead us to a greater understanding of this problematic passage. This wasn't Abraham's first experience with God. Now, God had revealed himself to, through, um, to Abraham through many things, through Abraham's successes and failures, his faith and his fear in problems and forgiveness. Abraham knew the character of God. He even asked him in Genesis 18, verse 25, it says, he said, will not the judge of the earth do right? Now, I believe Abraham obeyed God's unexpected command, but he trusted God's promise, which was the descendants to form a great nation. And he knew him to be good and trustworthy. In Genesis 22 and 5, it says, when they reached the mountain, Abraham told his servant, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship, and then we'll come to you again. The scripture is very careful to include both Abraham and Isaac, intending to go on the return journey. Isaac asks a few questions as well in Genesis 22 and 8. He says, Father, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? 
Abraham responds, God himself will provide the lamb. So it seems like Abraham had prepared himself to do what God asked, but expected something else to happen. To me, this is like when Daniel was prepared to go in the fire. As Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, the Lord called from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! An angel said, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you fear the Lord. This story pointed to Jesus as the true sacrificial lamb. Can we understand God so well that we are not afraid of anything? You know, this story shows us that Abraham feared God even more than he feared death itself. Jesus accomplished on the cross the perfect sacrifice, which is why it says perfect love casts out all fear. And if we, if we fear God, we begin to gain wisdom. Another proverb, number two, verse one to five. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. So I want to look really quickly at five characteristics of God-fearing people. Someone who, number one, someone who takes their Christian walk and growth seriously. You know, I believe that's someone who continues to walk out their salvation deliberately, seriously and with commitment. Number two, someone who trembles at his word. That's a doer and not just a hearer. Someone who trusts God's wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom begins when he carries more weight than anyone else or anything else. The love and the fear of God is then its completion. Number four, share Jesus with others. Have a desire to see others enter the kingdom. And number five, and this is what I want to expand on a little bit, hate sin. Turn from evil, pride and arrogance. Proverbs 8 and 13 says, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, we should hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverse speech. Proverbs 18 and 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. The stakes are high. Your words can either speak life or your words can speak death. Our tongues can build others up or they can tear them down. You know, I love how James describes the tongue as not easily tamed and can set a forest on fire. Now, to give some context to this book, it was written to the 12 tribes that were scattered, as opposed to Paul's letters that were written to a particular church. At this time, the Jews had been dispersed and exiled, basically living throughout the Mediterranean. And they would come back to Jerusalem about three times a year for festivals. There were, however, problems for each group. The Jews in Jerusalem were too strict, and they became prideful and arrogant. The Jews that were dispersed into new cities embraced the new culture and became lax and greedy. They sought business and riches as opposed to God. Another issue was gossip. It's a weakness for expatriates, people far from home, to gossip within their own little communities, and that still happens today. And this was a huge issue for these Jews, and they became known as hypocrites. In James 3 and 10, it says, talking about the tongue, sometimes it praises the Lord, our Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in God's image. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. How often, church, do we come 
to church on a Sunday morning to praise God only to get in the car and gossip about someone, tear them down, someone who's frustrated you, someone who's maybe offended you or hurt you by their action instead of actually praying for them. James says the tongue is the hardest part of the body to control. Consider your speech, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's the careless words that you speak when you're tired or busy that reveals your heart, not the careful speech that you consider um, when you're thinking about what to say. James paints us a picture in our mind with lots of images describing the power of the tongue. Things like, it's been set on fire by hell. It's like a ship's rudder. It can turn a whole ship. The effects are like a forest fire that is started with one match. The sins of the tongue he discusses are grumbling, cursing, lying, swearing, and gossiping. Only fearing God will help us to cave into this sinful nature. Philippians 4 and verse 8 says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We must fear sin. We must know how it makes God feel. We need to be in deep awe of God, in reverence, totally willing to submit, totally willing to admit our sins. I truly believe if you want to get rid of fear in your life, you need to fear God primarily. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's where we find freedom from the bondage of sin and all associated fear in this form of lies from the enemy. I encourage you, church, this week to focus on ways in which you can grow in the fear of the Lord. Submit to him and let him do a work in you that you may be free.